0: From 1st James 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in
1: nothing. Um, his name is Justin Barnes. He's a. Uh Justin is the Youth and Family Minister at the Azalea City Congregation in Sims, Alabama. He's been there for over four years now. I had the opportunity of working with Justin uh, two years ago now, uh, interning with him for a summer, and that was one of the best summers of my life. Justin is a a great man. Uh, Working with him was was just so incredible. Justin also uh, is a middle school Bible teacher, JV basketball coach, elementary football coach, uh, sponsor for the bass fishing team at Mobile Christian School uh, down in Mobile, Alabama. As you can tell, Justin is a very involved guy. He is all around Mobile, all through Mobile Christian, and uh, he does a lot there. And the kids love Justin. He's, he's just one of the popular guys down there, uh, one of the most popular youth ministers. Uh, there's a running joke down there about Justin, how incredible he is. Uh, um. Justin actually attended Faulkner here from 2005 to 2008. Uh, with a degree in uh, business administration. Um, He also played basketball at Faulkner here. You can ask him about those days. Uh, He uh, is an incredible athlete still today. I can attest to that for sure. So uh, Justin is married to Ashley Barnes. They have two children together, Riley and Grayson Barnes. And Justin also has a sister attending Faulkner. That's Courtney Barnes. She plays on the volleyball team. But Justin is a great man of God. And we're looking forward to him speaking tonight about the attitude of the children of Israel through the book of Exodus. So, here it is, Justin Barnes.
0: Yeah, as, yeah this works. Uh, Khalil, for what it's worth, I love you too. So, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I'll tell you all about my basketball career. I came here as a freshman and uh, never played, so that was it. <laughs> I played I played my freshman and sophomore year. I practiced a lot. Uh, I did get to play against um, Auburn in an exhibition game, so that was fun, but that was really about the extent of it. Uh, We did, uh, my sophomore year, were able to go to the NAIA National Tournament uh, where where we came in fourth. You know, we we, uh, played in the Fab Four, made it that far. So that was a really good experience, and after that, two years into it, I decided to retire. Uh, hang up the basketball shoes and do other things. Yes, and I do have a sister, Courtney. She's about as tall as I am. Uh, she's a far better athlete than I am, and her college career is far more successful than mine ever was. Um, so I'm glad she's, uh, she's able to be here and play on the volleyball team. So I appreciate you guys having me tonight. Uh, Tucker is a dear friend of mine. It's, all, it's sad to say that I actually watched Tucker grow up, and that makes me feel really old. I'm only 31 and I understand half of you tonight will say, yeah, that's really old, and the other half of you will say, no, that's really young. Um, so I'm, I, I guess I'm stuck somewhere in between. I have known Tucker ever since he was a baby and still waiting on him to grow up. Um, <laughs> but no, I know I know you guys at university are excited to have Tucker. Um, he is an awesome individual, super special, and I don't know what you pay him, but, but he's worth every penny. So uh, I'm glad to have, I know you guys are glad to have him, and I'm very fortunate that he asked me to come speak to you guys this evening. Yeah, we want to talk about the children of Israel, uh, their attitudes of, you know, I don't know that the children of Israel ever thought they were complaining. Maybe they just said to themselves, we're not complaining, we're just unhappy. And that's what the topic was given to me to, to, to speak of tonight. We may have that same mindset. What? I don't really complain. I know as a Christian, I'm not supposed to complain, right? I'm not supposed to grumble. I'm not supposed to dispute with others. But yet, we're always unhappy, right? I live in Mobile, uh, born and raised there. And they say about Mobile, if you're tired of the weather, wait 10 minutes because it will change, right? And in the summertime when it's 95 degrees and it's on. Seems like it's a hundred thousand percent humidity. We're waiting for the winter time, and now it's winter time, and I actually heard somebody at Chevron just a few minutes ago say it ought to be a sin to be so cold. Right now it's forty something degrees and we can't wait till it gets warm. It rains and we complain about that because we can't go outside and enjoy the activities we like to do, but yet when it's super dry outside we complain because We have no rain. Yeah, we complain. We complain about politics all the time. I can't stand to watch national news because of that. It always seems somebody is mad at the other person, right? In my 31 years of living, we haven't had a good president yet, right? Still waiting on one. There's always always complaining. None of them have done right so far. I'm a basketball coach. Well, like thereof, but I try. I scream a lot. I yell a lot. And it seems like in a basketball game, somebody's always mad, somebody's always complaining because the refs are terrible, right? They either make a, a call and I'm happy and our, our uh, team is happy and our fans are happy, but the entire half of the, of the gym is mad, right? The other coach, the other team, the other fans, we can't quit complaining. My son took a 30 minute nap, he's two years old and that's not good. On the way up here, 30 minutes he wakes up and he wants cookies, so for the next hour and a half, he complained about cookies and morning his mama. And she was driving for a few minutes so I could uh, maybe finish preparing a little bit for this. So we did. We stopped at Chevron and I got cookies. I unfortunately, I got my daughter cookies that had been on the shelf for about a year and a half. And she said they smelled and taste like Play-Doh. Which is sad that she knows what Play-Doh smells like and tastes like. <laughs> but also, that's where I heard the lady walk in, the worker there, and say that, It ought to be a sin to be this cold. We can't stop complaining, can we? Because we're so selfish. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that. In the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Would you pray with me one more time this evening? Father, thank you so much for loving us and providing Jesus Christ as the substitute for our sins. And Father, we realize that we're unloving people. We're very unlovable at times, but you still saw it fit to send Jesus Christ just at the right time. Father, we are undeserving of the sacrifice, we're undeserving of, of the everyday blessings you give us. We're undeserving of, the, eternal hope of etern- uh, the, the hope of eternal life that we have. But Father, we're very thankful that you, uh, again, saw it fit to allow us to enjoy these things. Father, help us to do things without grumbling or disputing. Help us to shine as lights in this dark world, in this crooked and twisted uh, generation. Father, help us to be great examples so people can see Jesus Christ living in us. Father, I pray that you will use me as a vessel tonight, that I can um, speak your words, Father, and that we can all be better because of it. Thank you again for Jesus Christ and the hope that we have through him. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Fourteen times through the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers that the children of Israel complained on their journey. I'll run through them really quick. Uh, Very early on, I believe it may have been right there in Exodus chapter 5, they complained that God delivered them, uh, as God wanted to deliver them out of uh, Egyptian bondage, and, and Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, hey, let me take these, these children, let me take God's children so that we can journey three days into the wilderness and we can sacrifice to God. And because of that, they were forced to harder labor. So they complained about that. They complained as they were delivered out of Egypt, out of their bondage, out of slavery, and they came to the Red Sea and they looked back and they saw Pharaoh and his army chasing them. Some 600,000 that were out, just the men, right? Some, some research, some studies may say that there were... Possibly over two million people there complaining to Moses and Aaron that why didn't you just let us alone? Were there no graves in Egypt that we could die? So you just brought us out here to the wilderness so Pharaoh could chase us, so Pharaoh and his army could kill us? But we know that God delivered them from Pharaoh, right? Parting the Red Sea, allowing them to walk across on dry ground and then allowing them to witness Pharaoh and his army be swallowed up by the water. Three days later, They journeyed three days later, and the water there was bitter, so they complained about that. God allowed Moses to throw a log into the water and make it sweet. A few days later, they complained about not having enough food, so God brought quail and manna from heaven. Then they were thirsty, so Moses struck a rock and water came from it. They became impatient with Moses as Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days, and they saw that Moses was delaying, so they, they took all the gold that the Egyptians had given them and they burned and, and, and they, they, uh, they fashioned them into a golden image so that they could bow down and worship that God. So they were impatient with Moses. They, they desired food again. God eventually, in numbers, burned the outskirts. So you can see as the first four, uh, the first four times there in the book of Exodus that God. Blessed them. God gave them what they wanted. And then about the fifth time, God started to take his belt out, right? He started to punish people. Because of the golden image, because of the golden calf, three thousand people fell by the sword. They desired the food again, so God burned the outskirts of the camp. They Miriam complained about Moses' leadership. She was struck with leprosy. They complained about the obstacle of, of facing the giants, right, in, in the promised land that God had said that they were going uh, to they, they take. So 10 of the 12 spies, spies were killed, and then God said that no one over 20 years of age as you exited out of Egypt will be able to inherit the promised land. They complained again about the leadership. God sought to destroy the people with pestilence. They rebelled against Moses. The people accused Moses of killing God's people. Again, the people were thirsty, so Moses gets angry. Instead of speaking to the rock as he was supposed to, this time strikes the rock, and it's the reason that Moses didn't get to inherit the promised land, right? So all these people now that have journeyed out of Israel, twenty years old, uh, excuse me, journeyed out of Egypt, twenty years of age or older, are not going to get to inherit the promised land because they had not quit complaining. And then finally, they became impatient as they were wandering through the wilderness. Because they had no food and they had no water. And they knew that God had just led them out there to die. So God sent the fiery serpents to strike them. Here's some things that point out uh, through these stories. How fickle, how short-sighted God's people can be. How fickle and how short-sighted you and I can be. How uncommitted that we can be to God. Abraham wandered on promises, right, through the book of Genesis. That his reward, his descendants would be great. The Israelites had real life examples. They had the ten plagues. They had the Red Sea. But they quickly faded in the face of their hardships, their hunger, and their thirst, and the uncertainty about their future. And then also God provides both blessings and judgment. You know, I see it as Egypt paralleling the world. If we can spend this the first or, or to, to New Testament Christianity, and we look back to the children of Israel, we see that they were, in, they were slaves to Egypt just like you and I are slaves to this world, or you, are, you and I are slaves to sin. Pharaoh can represent Satan, right? Somebody who holds us back, somebody who enslaves us, but yet when we leave, when we turn our backs on Him and head towards God, on our journey, on our Christian path, Satan's chasing after us, right? It's also interesting that Pharaoh was destroyed by God, so was Satan. I see Israel, obviously the children of God, just like Christians are the children of God. Favoritism towards Israel is also parallel to favoritism towards us in judgment. In Exodus chapter eleven and verse seven, it says, But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And I am by no means pointing out that parting of the Red Sea and crossing the Red Sea was equal to baptism, but it makes sense to me that as the Red Sea was parted, isn't it interesting how water is involved? How water was involved in saving God's people from Egyptian bondage and from Pharaoh. Just the way that water is involved in saving us from our sin, from the world, saving us from Satan. Again, not saying that that was baptism towards them, but it at least parallels it in my mind. Complaining is addictive and it rewires your brain. Listen to the studies here. Pretty much complaining is a grown-up version of whining, right? I can't stand whining. My four-year-old, my two-year-old will tell you that. My wife will tell you that. I cannot stand for a four-year-old to to whine, right, when she is supposed to be a quote-unquote big girl. I can't stand the whining. But also as a minister, because, you know, we use bigger terms to make it sound better, we call it venting, right? We have a vent session, but isn't that just complaining? It's a grown-up version of whining, Every time you complain, your irritability is like a virus. It is neurologically picked up by every person who hears your voice or sees your face. So by all means, train your brain to be optimistic and positive because of 30 plus years uh, research by Duke University and the Mayo Clinic. It literally will add years to your life. How about the norovirus? You heard much about that recently? Wasn't there a big ship, maybe like the Royal Caribbean, uh, set sail out of Florida and some 300 or maybe even more than that people contracted the norovirus? Well, that, that plagued Mobile Christian School the other day as well. The kids uh, getting super sick. And maybe, maybe in your high schools and, and colleges around here too. Mm-hmm. Complaining, just like the norovirus. It, it, it's, it's addictive and it passes on from, from person to person. If you were gonna go on, on, on I-65 going north to Prattville and you cross the, the Alabama River, correct? Right, you're gonna cross the Alabama River. Aren't you thankful there's a permanent bridge? What if every time we had to cross it we had to construct a temporary bridge? It would kind of get annoying, wouldn't it? So we're pretty thankful for temporary bridge I mean for, for permanent bridge, excuse me. Our brain is the same way. One science, uh, scientific study shows that it makes more, a lot more sense, obviously, to construct a permanent brain, so your brain does the same. Your neurons grow closer together. The connections between them become more permanent. And as scientists like to describe the process, that neurons that fire together, wire together. So if you and I complain, neurons in our brain are actually growing towards each other to connect, to become more permanent. So the next time that you and I go to complain, it's a lot easier But I also think we can spin that the opposite way, that if we can have a more positive outlook on life, right, a more positive outlook on the things that we're having to endure, neurons that fire together will end up wiring together. Repeated complaining rewires your brain to make future complaining more likely. Complaining becomes your default behavior, which changes how people perceive you. If you look at Numbers, if you'll turn there with me, Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11 verses 1 through 6 reads, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, His anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Taberah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. The rabble, the rabble tempts the rest right there in, in Roman. Romans, I excuse me, Romans, listen to me, Numbers chapter 11. The rabble, the, the disorderly crowd, the mob, Right? God had, had brought this fire. They had, the, the Israelites had cried out to Moses to get them to get God to die the fire down. And as he does, the rabble, the people, start to complain again. And you see through that complaining, it was addictive. And others complained as well. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And I know there he's talking about circumcision, right? And, and false teaching, but I believe. The point is still the same, that leaven or yeast that does not remain isolated in a single spot, right? It leavens the entire lump, or, or, or it leavens the entire lump of dough. It, it moves throughout the entire loaf, just as a little bit of complaining can move through the entire church, right? can move through the entire congregation of Israel. Hey, parents, don't you think teens learn that from you? Grandparents, don't you think teens have learned that from you over the years since you have the greatest impact on the lives of your teenagers, whether they think you're dumb right now or not? Teens learn it from our parents. How many of us as we left worship this morning went about and complained about the service at the, at the restaurant, complained about the waiter that got our food wrong, or maybe messed up our drink, or, or hasn't come to refill my glass of sweet tea yet? Exodus chapter 16. And I've never thought about this this way until studying for this lesson. Exodus chapter 16 and verse 8. Moses cries back out to the people of Israel. And he says to them, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against Him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Think about that. Our grumbling is not against the waitress, who can't fill our glass of sweet tea. It's not against the weather. It's not against your mom or your dad. It's not against somebody who's treating you unfairly. Your grumbling is against God. Maybe it shows a little bit of a lack of faith or an unbelief that God can actually take care of us. We also complain because we forget we have this spiritual amnesia, just like the Israelites did. Fourteen times through their journey in the book of Exodus and Numbers, they complained. When God was just trying to lead them out of slavery into a promised land. Fourteen times they complained because they forgot. And just like them, we forget. We forget about our delivery from sin. We forget about the provisions that God gives us. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33. I know you know it well. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The Israelites forgot. As they were exiting out of Egypt, they had to hurry. They had to go in haste. That's why they brought the unleavened bread. They didn't have time. It was meant to be a remembrance for them of the significant occasion that God had blessed them, that God had protected them, that God had delivered them from bondage, from slavery. But instead they complained. Just like you and I complain, maybe about worship. Maybe we complain about the cracker or the juice. Maybe it's stale. Maybe it's not the right consistency. Like you and I complain about the preacher, maybe preaching too long, right? Or we complain that it's too hot in the building or too hot in the auditorium or too cold. You and I complain all the time, but we forget why we come. We forget the reason we're supposed to be here. We forget the remembrance of the significant occasion that Jesus Christ died for our sins once and for all. We complain... Because we forget. You know, slavery to freedom is a journey, isn't it? Slavery to freedom for the Israelites was a journey. It was supposed to be, could be, a 40-day journey. Now, obviously, Scripture tells us that God didn't take them that way because He was afraid they may get into battle, and if they got into battle, they would flee Egypt. They were not prepared. So God allowed them to wander in the wilderness to help build them up, to build their confidence, to build their leadership skills. But I don't know that it was, very, it was actually designed for them to wander 40 years in the wilderness. I think the complaining held them back, don't you? Slavery from sin to freedom, our promised inheritance, is a journey. The Israelites were directionally challenged at times. There were multiple times in the book of Exodus that they wanted to flee God and flee Moses and go back to Egypt. Moses, why did you bring us out? Were there no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to the wilderness to die? Let us go back. At least our plates were full. At least we had what we needed. Psalms chapter 32, verses 8 through 10 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Don't be like the horse or the mule that has to be bridled, that has to have a bit in its mouth or it won't stay near. Slavery to freedom is a journey. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1 says, For freedom in Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you and I not to again submit to a yoke of slavery, for us to get out of the complaining mindset, we have to change that mindset. We have to change our attitudes. You will see four times in Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4 as Moses is talking with God. Victories. God being victorious over Moses complaining. At first, he says, well, God, who am I? Who am I to go to these people? God says, I will be with you. Later on in chapter 3, Moses says, what shall I say to them? God says, you say, I am who I am. Later on, he says, I am to be remembered throughout all generations. In chapter 4, Moses says, but they will not believe me. So God says, take the staff, cast it on the ground. As it became a snake, Moses, as I would do as well, jumps back and tries to run from the snake, right? Run from the serpent. God says, do not be afraid. Reach down and grab it by the tail, and it becomes a staff again. He says, Moses, take your hand and set it in your cloak. As he pulls it out, his hand becomes leprous. Moses, put your hand back in your cloak. It is restored. And then the last time, he says, but I'm not eloquent. I am not, or I am slow of speech. So God says, look, I'll send send Aaron as a spokesman for you. Four times Moses tried to defeat God. God, I'm not capable. I'm not worthy to go to these people. I'm not prepared. And four times God was victorious over his complaining. God can be victorious over our complaining. You and I have got to find the small victories. You know, I believe in setting goals for my life. I don't necessarily believe in New Year's resolutions, but I tell teenagers at least ours at Isaiah City, that I, that I want them to set goals. I want them to set high and lofty goals, goals that are super hard to obtain, goals that you must persevere, right, goals that are going to challenge you, but also set goals that you can attain that are easily attainable so you can help build your confidence. I, talk, I say it like this as a basketball coach. When, uh, when we go to warm up, I, I ask kids to go get close to the rim, right? And shoot shots that, that you can see going in the basket. Because that helps grow your confidence. And then you can start working, uh, working your way back. There's an old U.S. Navy retired Admiral, William McRaven, McRaven that's, that wrote the book, Make Your Bed. And he talks about that very same principle. He says, in the morning, go make your bed. Because it's a small victory. Make your bed because that helps give you the confidence to go on and to complete another task in your day. Do small things to keep you from complaining. Go be victorious. Never be comfortable in your faith, right? Never be comfortable in your faith, because when you're comfortable, you're not growing. There was a basketball coach in Westgate, New York. He was uh, the varsity basketball coach there. And the the very first day of practice uh, of the the season, he gathered all his guys up in the center court, like most basketball coaches do, they kind of give uh, kind of gives them an idea of what's going to happen the next hour and a half or two at practice. And he says, what I want you to do this year as we warm up every day, I want you to take your basketball, I want you to go to a spot that you can foresee yourself in a game helping us, whether that be in the paint for big men, right? The post players 10 feet and in, go to the free throw line, whether it be some of the guards that may stretch out their range to the three-point line. Whatever it is, whatever you foresee yourself helping our team this year in the games, I want you to take your basketball there. And I want, you to, uh, I want you to shoot from there. I want you to prepare your mind for competition. So as they broke the huddle of the 12, one of the kids ran. He took his ball, and he went to the bench. This is what I would have done in college. <clears throat> he took his basketball, and he sat right here, and he started shooting from the bench. Okay? Two things there. Number one, he's probably a smart aleck like me. But he probably tried to do it to get a laugh out of his friends. But second off, he was very content where he was. He was content. He he didn't want to grow. He didn't want to work. He didn't want to challenge himself to get better. He was fine sitting on the bench. A lot of us do that with our Christian walk. We're fine. I'm good. God, good luck. High five, Jesus. I love you. Friends, go out there and fight the battle, but I'm going to sit on the sidelines. A lot of us are content in our faith, and that's not good. Because if you're content in your faith, then you're not growing. Children of Israel, they were content in their faith. They were like, look, let me go back. My plates were full. I'm fine. It was hard labor, sure, but at least I was fed. They were content in their faith, but God said, no, I've got something much better for you. I need you. I want you. He's still saying that to us today. Don't be content in your faith, young people. Challenge yourselves. Because as you go off to college, if you don't go to Faulkner University, I promise you, you'll be challenged. You'll be challenged in your faith. If you go to a state school, you'll be challenged. I I did, I went to Auburn, got a degree in forestry for whatever reason. Alright, now I'm a youth minister, I don't know how. <laughs> Maybe I'll tell you that story at the end if we have enough time. Count it all joy. Thank you for reading that scripture over there. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Two more quick points here. God's plan is better than our plan. Wouldn't you agree? God's plan is better than our plan. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. God's plan is much better than our plan. God's plan for the Israelites was much better than the Israelites' plan for themselves. It's generally a person that's dissatisfied with their lot in life. The circumstances God has allowed to come their way. The children of Israel, their grumbling was only uh, symptomatic of a far more fatal disease, and that's unbelief. Unbelief that God actually knows what He's doing. Complaining is a loss of perspective. Does God really know what's best for me? Jude chapter 16, excuse me, Jude, in verse 16, tells us that complaining germinates from a selfish heart. Verses 16 through 21. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. But they are loud mouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of the Lord our God, Jesus Christ, that leads To eternal life, God's plan is far greater than our plan. And lastly, I want you to—I want to encourage you to use your journey to encourage others. Use your journey to encourage others. Ephesians chapter five and verse one says, "Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children." Verse two and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Philippians chapter. 2 verses 4 through 8. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among you which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even... Death on a cross. Use your journey to encourage others. Max Lucado in his book, God Came Near, says, Christianity Christianity in its purest form is nothing more than seeing Jesus. Christian service in its purest form is nothing more than imitating Him who we see. To see His majesty and to imitate Him, that is the sum of Christianity. Along the journey, they experienced great wonders, didn't they? They experienced a lot of wonderful things. They, they saw, the ten, uh, they saw uh, the ten plagues. They saw Pharaoh and his army uh, swallowed up by the Red Sea. They saw the way that God had provided for them. They saw the, the water made sweet. They saw the water coming from the rock. They saw the meat and the, and the bread that God continued to provide for them. They had to have the time. Like that, the, the struggles, the journey that they went through that lies between the seed time, the time that you plant seeds and the harvest of those seeds in order to experience and sense the process of growth to maturity. One of my favorite books recently is Pete the Cat. Pete the Cat and His White Shoes. And I don't know if you know Pete the Cat and His White Shoes, and if you do, I hope you like it as well as I do. Pete the Cat, walks along and he sings this song, I love my white shoes, I love my white shoes, I love my white shoes. And as Pete the Cat is walking along and singing this song, he steps in a big old pile of blueberries. Did Pete cry? Goodness, no. He just kept walking along and singing his song, I love my blue shoes, I love my blue shoes, I love my blue shoes. As Pete's walking along, he steps in a big old pile of strawberries. Did Pete cry? Goodness no. He kept walking along and singing his song, I love my red shoes. I love my red shoes. I love my red shoes until Pete steps in a pile of mud. Did Pete cry? Goodness no. He kept walking along singing his song, I love my brown shoes. I love my brown shoes. I love my brown shoes. Then Pete steps in a pail of water. Did Pete cry? Goodness no. He just kept walking along and singing his song, I love my wet shoes. I love my wet shoes. I love my wet shoes. It's amazing. I love Pete the Cat. He didn't care. He was fine. He didn't complain. No matter what color his shoes were, he loved them. You know, it's pretty awesome. No matter what you and I step in as we're journeying in our Christian life, we can be happy. We can be content. Right? Right? Not satisfied, but we can be content in every situation we're in. Knowing in the end that if you and I are a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, our shoes are going to get washed again. We're going to be clean. Right? And we're going to have a hope of the promised land. Not just the promised land, but a promised eternity. So just keep walking along and singing your song. Whatever color your shoes are, know that God has a plan for you. His plan is far greater than ours. Tonight, if you are a member of the children of Israel like me, and sometimes you are fighting yourself and fighting God and want to go back to Egypt, you want to go back to slavery, you want to go back to sin, but tonight maybe or, or through the last uh, last few hours have realized that, that that's not a fight you need anymore. That you need to come back home to Jesus Christ. That you need to make sure that God, knowing that God is not concerned with our perfection, right? We are perfected in Jesus Christ, but knowing that He is concerned with our direction. Making sure that you and I are striving every single day to grow closer to Him. If that's your issue tonight, I hope you'll come forward. But if you're not a child of God, if you haven't been washed through the waters of baptism for the hope of eternal life, the promised life, eternity that God has put forth through the substitution of Jesus Christ, then I hope you'll come forward tonight and make the right decision as together we stand and sing.